In some ways, the study has actually influenced the way that I practice medicine, which was exciting uh, to get involved with something that uh, helped me learn more about what the SPMs were, as well as see uh, it from a different perspective. Welcome to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast, where natural healthcare practitioners can hear innovative, cutting-edge information from leading experts from around the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Metagenics Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rose, and with me today from Temecula in California is Dr. Eric Lundquist. Welcome, Eric. Welcome, good day. <laughs> That's the first time I've had that one. Um, yeah, thanks for taking time out. So you're a functional medicine practitioner uh, in the obviously the United States, and you're just about to publish some research on the SPMs or the, the specialized pro-resolving mediators. But um, before we get into that, other than your um, Aussie impersonations, um, can you just tell us a bit of a bit, of, bit about your brief background and how you got into functional medicine? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I did my uh, residency training through the Navy. And while I was in the Navy, I actually went to my college undergraduate 10-year, five-year reunion, I don't remember what it was, but I ran into a former classmate of mine who had set up an integrated medical clinic with Mimi Guineri down in San Diego. And he invited me to come as part of my rotation uh, to visit. And so I spent some time during my third year clinical down at the integrative center and became really intrigued and really enjoyed it. And that kind of started my journey into functional and integrative medicine. Uh, I ended up completing my Navy career over the next eight years, finishing my residency training, spending some time. Uh, with the Marines and uh, over, over, overseas tours um, uh, one time, and it ended up in Australia and went to a, a wild animal park there, and that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, got a chance to scuba dive the Great Barrier Reef, which I'll, I'll never forget, and so that was exciting times. And then I came back, and uh, after uh, continued on my functional medicine journey, just continuing to learn um, a little bit here and there. I started attending conferences where I would listen to Jeff Bland speak and it took me probably about two and a half years to learn Jeff Blandese <laughs> so I could actually understand what he was saying. And uh, as I did, I, I, I really got excited about what he was sharing and started applying some of those things clinically and got to the point where I was so excited about functional medicine and integrative medicine, I, I decided I needed to open up my own clinic. And so about five years, in fact, we just celebrated our fifth year anniversary of opening our center here in Temecula uh, in 2014. And I had a lot of help in doing it. I was really fortunate to have a great team and we kind of went big right from the get-go. So we have chiropractic, acupuncture, naturopath, massage therapy, IV nutrition, functional nutrition, lifestyle therapists. So we have a big, big production and it's been really beneficial for our patients and it's been just a, a wonderful journey. Yeah, well, it sounds like a, a great blend there with uh, the Marines and functional medicine. So uh, any area that you're 
sort of specialising in or focusing on what sort of patient pop- population um, visits your clinic? Well, I, it's been interesting. To, it's been really patient-driven. Uh, we open our doors and accept all comers, but as is typical with functional medicine, we start to attract patients who don't seem to get answers from other places. And our, our, our clinic has kind of evolved from uh, starting with a lot of Hashimoto's, uh, autoimmune thyroiditis, and other autoimmune disorders into uh, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and then uh, evolving even further into some of the chronic inflammatory response uh, sy- symptoms and syndromes with Lyme, mold, uh, things along those lines. So we, you know, we're pretty broad spectrum. We're we're trying to look at early dementia and reversing some of those things. Uh, I've had an interest in migraines. So we've been kind of across the board, but it's you know, like typical functional medicine practices, we're getting the patients who have seen six to ten doctors before and not gotten the answers that they hoped for yeah yeah um well, it's gl- i'm glad there's some where they can go and um but it does sort of resonate here in australia i think that sometimes the longer you practice the, the harder it seemingly gets because you're getting you know the the sicker and more complex um patients coming through your door but um i want to talk about a potential tool we can add to our toolbox today to help people with uh chronic diseases and that was um your research with this case series you're about to publish on patients with fibromyalgia and the, the use of these specialized pro-resolving mediators. So I'll let you describe um, what what was had this evolved this uh, use of SPMs for fibromyalgia. What piqued your interest? I you know I, I was intrigued with them when they first came out. Uh, my friend from college, actually Robert Benactar, had uh, participated in a study with metagenics um, early on, on looking at these particular types of fish oil resolvents. He runs as part of that integrative center. Uh, he looks specifically at pain. He's become a uh, an integrative pain specialist. So looking at these uh, pro-resolving mediators was something of great interest to him because he was seeing how they could potentially benefit in helping patients recover from chronic pain by turning on the mechanisms that would allow the body to start to heal again. Uh, One of the challenges with chronic pain is, as we all know, that we just don't heal. For whatever reason, the body has lost the signal, lost the connection to that part of the body to heal appropriately, and therefore we continue to have pain. So it became an interest to him. So that's where I first learned about uh, SPMs was attending a lecture that he was giving on uh, one of the initial studies that was done in this area clinically. And then uh, recently uh, I was approached by uh, Metagenics to uh, do another trial. And this time using fibromyalgia, uh, they they knew that we were, we were working with a lot of chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia patients and also uh, looking at these chronic inflammatory response syndrome patients. And we wondered if there was could be a connection at some of the underlying causes of fibromyalgia and if we could use these pro-resolving mediators to help modulate the way that the body was healing and hopefully not only 
improve some of the inflammation, but in the process, improve some of their pain associated with fibromyalgia, which is truly a fatigue and pain-driven syndrome. Yeah. Had you used SPMs prior? I had. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I'm one that's always pretty candid about um, the way I I see the world. And I, I honestly was not that impressed. I I had not found them to be as uh, good as advertised, mm-hmm. at least. And, and, and I, I, what's interesting is we'll share later on in the study is I think that part of the reason was it, it, I was looking at them from a specifically pain-reducing mechanism in a population that deals with chronic pain. And I think that it it, it has other benefits that sometimes are overlooked because the actual pain levels don't reduce dramatically. And so people then say, oh, well, this must not work, where actually there's mechanisms and metabolism and inflammation that's being reduced and people are functioning better, but their pain isn't necessarily coming down as quickly because they're doing more. Yeah. That makes sense. But I, it, it's been it's been interesting to kind of change my perspective. We're using them a lot more now. And we're seeing a lot more success. So in, in some ways, the study has actually influenced the way that I practice medicine, which was exciting uh, to get involved with something that uh, helped me learn more about what SPMs were as well as see uh, it from a different perspective. I think sometimes we get so locked into symptomatic relief. And even though in functional medicine, we're trying to get to the root cause, we still get stuck in that uh, pill for an ill, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, people are having pain, SPMs can help pain, it's a pill, I'm going to give it. And if it doesn't help the pain, then it must not work. Well, uh, it's just, that's just human nature and how we are trained in medicine, unfortunately. And so taking a step back, looking at it from a different perspective has helping me realize that we're actually changing function, which is improving overall well-being, but it may not be impacting pain right away. Okay. Yeah, that, that's... Does that makes sense? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but often um, patients don't think they're feeling better, but they start doing more, so they're actually more functional, but probably in the same Precisely. amount of pain. Yeah. And that's probably the good thing about obviously doing the research is you get that objectivity in those metrics. Whereas if you just relied on your patient coming back after four or six weeks and saying they don't feel any better, um, that would be probably discouraging to continuing to, to continue looking at these SPMs. And I really do think that that's part of the reason why I was kind of down on them, why I wasn't as excited about them when I was looking at the research initially and looking at the presentations and thinking, wow, this is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread and then realizing, yeah, maybe it's not as good yeah. because I wasn't seeing that feedback, right? I mean, this is this is the challenge with any supplements for the most part, is that we, the way that we measure how effective a supplement is, is what our patients te- give us feedback on. We don't, we don't have a lot of studies. And so if, as a practitioner, I take some product and I start applying it to a patient population and they come back and from their perspective and through the window that I'm looking at, they say, this isn't helping me. Then we assume that the product isn't working. And that's, that's the way we, we get most of the feedback with our supplements. But sometimes there's changes 
in ways that we can't perceive or see that the supplements are actually helping. So this was great because it allowed me to see things from a different perspective. I know I've I'm kind of beating a dead mm-hmm. horse here, but I think that point's really important. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, dive into the details then. So can you give an outline of the, the study in terms of participants and how long went for and et cetera? Sure. So we we were asked to um, gather between six and eight patients uh, that were, had a previous diagnosis of fibromyalgia um, and there was some exclusion criteria that we they needed to meet. Uh, we did not want them to be on any kind of narcotic or or currently taking any um, uh, anti nonsteroidal anti inflammatory medicine for for a period of time. And we uh, we wanted to make sure they were on a pretty stable dose of fish oil if they were using fish oil as a supplement. Uh, we didn't want them changing changing that. We also didn't want to pick up people who were just starting a new lifestyle regimen. Uh, we wanted it to be fairly stable over the last three months. Uh, so it, it, despite having our net cast wide, we, we ended up only with about seven candidates. Uh, and then most, um, all, in fact, all of them, I was going to say most of them, but actually all of them were female, which is most of the population for fibromyalgia anyways. But all of them were, were females and they, they ranged anywhere from, uh, you know, early mid twenties to, um, in the sixties. And, uh, that's kind of what, so that was kind of the patient population that we, we started with. Sure. And they were uh, already attending your clinic, so they're already on, as you mentioned, fish oils and maybe on other, you know, I suppose, uh, conventional, if you want to call it that, um, supplements for managing pain and fibromyalgia symptoms? Correct. So some were on some medications as well for treating fibromyalgia. Uh, Some were not. Uh, All of them had been educated in lifestyle measures and were uh, applying to their best ability, uh, you know, nutritional changes in there. So they, they, they clearly were not the typical fibromyalgia patient, right? These were already um, not functional medicine naive patients. Sure. These were patients who sure. were already trying to deal with stress, trying to, to improve their diets, trying to get some activity and uh, trying to manage their sleep. So, the, so in, in essence, these were somewhat skewed from the regular studied fibromyalgia patient populations, which are normally studied in this, which would be interesting to do uh, an SPM trial on fibromyalgia naive to functional medicine patients, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But these were all, I mean, they were, they, none of them were new to our clinic. They had all been with our clinic at least a year. So we had been working with them, healing their guts, working on detoxification pathways for for some time. So you applied also some validated questionnaires and screening tools to get some baselines and obviously the, the follow-up. So can you describe the sort of battery of, of tests that were performed? Sure. So we looked at both questionnaires and some uh, laboratory data to try and assess one of the so the big question that we were trying to ask here and ascertain was, 
if we if we use uh, SPM as a, a treatment modifier for fibromyalgia, would we see an outcome or change in some of these inflammatory uh, biomarkers? And then would we see any changes in their fibromyalgia questionnaires or in their pain questionnaires? And so we we wanted to cover kind of a broad spectrum of different things. So we looked at a handful of questionnaires, uh, which included uh, the the Promise questionnaire, the um, fibromyalgia. Um, um, I'm forgetting the fibromyalgia impact questionnaire. Uh, we looked at uh, short form health survey, uh, which is kind of a quality of life measurement. And then we looked at uh, SIRS uh, cluster score analysis, which was developed by Shoemaker to look at these mold and Lyme patients. And then we looked at a health systems questionnaire, uh, which looks at different systems and gives a score of zero to four based upon the quality and frequency of their symptoms. So those were the questionnaires that we looked at. And then the blood test that we looked at included a comprehensive metabolic panel, a CBC, mega-3 index, high-sensitive C-reactive protein, uh, prostaglandin E2, interleukin-6, 10, 1B, uh, MMP9, which is... Uh, uh, matrix metalloproteinase, uh, TGF beta 1, which is transforming growth factor beta 1, uh, complement 4A split product, uh, PA1, PAI1, uh, and uh, VEGF, which are um, growth factors. The v VEGF is a vascular endothelial growth factor. Uh, we looked at total T3 and total T4, ANA, cortisol, ACTH, and AD, and antidiuretic hormone. So we, we looked at kind of a broad spectrum. I think we kind of just were casting our net to see if there was any influence on SPM on any of these processes. So it's pretty comprehensive um, analysis on these patients yeah i didn't realize you'd done all the, the biochemistry um so yeah i'll come back to that um so it sounds like you did a, a lot of um measures for SIRS biomarkers like the tgf beta and the complements and um mmp9s etc is that to try and also build a picture whether the, the patient might be suffering from some sort of biotoxin illness yeah, so we had already identified in uh, I think five out of the seven patients uh, that you know that w probably one of the underlying causes of their fibromyalgia was SIRS, yeah. and so I was interested to see then because that was starting to become such a big population, and so many have fibromyalgia symptoms and came into the the clinic initially with fibromyalgia, and then later we discovered. Serves as, as probably an underlying etiology, whether or not the SPMs would then impact any of those SERS markers as well, and so we included we included that. Yeah, and of course you weren't um, doing any of the SERS protocol otherwise, like the remediation, the cholestyramine, et cetera. So they they obviously many had SERS, but you didn't really otherwise treat the SERS. So it would be interesting to see that the impact of SPMs alone without any other sort of therapy. Correct. If if they were if they were 
on a treatment, we, you know, they maintained their treatment. Uh, if they, if they weren't, we didn't initiate any SERS treatments. There was one patient who, interestingly enough, was not a SERS patient before, but when we did the questionnaire and the biomarkers discovered she did have SERS. Yeah, right. But interesting. But we didn't start her on any treatment okay. um, for that until after the, and, the study. And um, thyroid hormones, was there any one with um, suspected um, clinical or subclinical hypothyroidism? I'm trying to remember exactly. I don't. I think that we we wanted to take a look and see because uh, obviously thyroid plays a, a role in fibromyalgia and can be an underlying etiology. And we wanted to see again if there was any hormonal changes in using the uh, the SPM. If if we could improve inflammation yeah. with an SPM. Mm-hmm. Would that have a secondary effect on thyroid function? And if we got improved thyroid function, would that would that be a mechanism for how decreasing inflammation could improve fibromyalgia function and 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 pain? And so that's why we included that. Sure, that makes great sense. And finally, um, the omega three index. Obviously, um, if they're on uh, marine oils, fish oils, they would continue on them, but um, did many show any show low levels of omega three index, and um, we'll get to it, I suppose, at the end. Whether not that I was expecting it to, but whether the SPMs had any impact there on raising omega three index. Uh, you know, I'm I don't remember exactly. Let me pull up the. Let me just take a quick peek. I I pulled up the data, but I don't re- I don't remember that being a. A big issue. So let me just see if I can look at that quickly. Yeah, um, no problem. So that's an that that is an interesting question. Yeah, I've seen a couple uh, cases um, from the US where they were given SPMs, and interestingly, their omega three index increased. But perhaps they started consuming more, more fish, perhaps through the um, trial period, um, because obviously the SPMs don't con- contain appreciable levels of. Uh, omega three, right? So um, it looks like most patients were pretty close to. Well, there's one patient who had a pretty low omega three index of one point eight. Wow, uh, greater than greater than three being uh, three point two being the optimal. So she was she she had a pretty high need for omega threes. I'm looking to see. If that changed um, after, and it did, it went from 1.8 to 3.4. All right, wow. Um, we might be talking about different um, metrics. Uh, the podcast that I did, Bill Harris, looks at the omega 3 index, and over 8% of the red, uh, red blood cell fatty acid membrane content is considered um, optimal. So perhaps there's, a, yeah, we're talking different metrics because yeah 3.4 whatever you said would be quite low on the scale I'm talking about but anyway we can maybe uh discuss that offline and we can I can give an update on the in the show notes all right so let's move on to the um outcomes so oh and finally just um the the dose of the SPMs that were uh, administered um so I, I I don't remember the exact 
dose. We gave capsules. Oh, okay. Um, well, we had how many capsules then? <laughs> and we, so we gave two capsules. And I don't remember the exact, I mean, it was standardized levels, but I don't remember the exact milligram dosage of the um, 17-HDHA and the 18-HEPE. I can never remember how to say that exactly, (laughs) but um, the the forms of the um, DHA and EPA in the, the SPMs. So I don't remember exactly the milligram dosage. I know that will come out when we actually publish the study. But in, for purposes of what we were doing, uh, it was uh, two capsules, uh, which was a much, which was an increased concentration from what uh, other studies had done. Not super concentrated. I would say it was a, a middle of the road dosage. Uh, so we were um, interested to see if that was going to be adequate but that's sure um, and yeah from a like, a, like okay I, found, I did find that so it's 500 milligrams okay sorry yeah um 500 milligrams off gel so a thousand milligrams sure and i suppose from a, a practical or cl- uh, clinical perspective i know a lot of clinicians certainly dose much higher than that typically they might do two twice a day or sometimes they do four twice a day or eight in one hit depending if it's an acute injury or illness but so from a practice level, it was a, a, a pretty modest dose. Would you uh, agree? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. So one twice a day. Okay. So now, um, oh, and just quickly, I do believe that the, the fibromyalgia symptoms varied in terms of sorry, severity, varied somewhat between the patients, i.e. some had really high levels of, on the fibromyalgia questionnaire and some were probably mild cases of fibromyalgia. Um, so with that, tell me what was the response from the therapy? So the, so the results were interesting and intriguing for the most part. They, um, what we found is that overall pain did not significantly improve in, um, all of our patients across the board. Uh, we did have kind of one outlier and she was one of our, our true fibromyalgia patients. She didn't have SIRS. She had been, she was actually on a fibromyalgia medication in conjunction with some of the supplements she was taking. And about, so this was 12, it was a, we gave the SPMs for 12 weeks. And about eight weeks into the trial, she stopped her fibromyalgia medication. And at the end of the study, um, we then did a follow-up four weeks after to kind of see where people were at, see if they chose to continue taking the SPMs on their own or not. She had continued to take them because her fibromyalgia symptoms had significantly improved. So she was one of the few that had pain relief and uh, functional improvement to the point where she was no longer on her fibromyalgia medication. She was, again, like I said, one of two that was truly just a fibromyalgia patient without the underlying SIRS as a complication to her fibromyalgia etiology. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, That was was fascinating to see that and really exciting. And, And again, makes me wonder what it would be like to just get 
fibromyalgia patients who are new to functional medicine and treat them with SPMs and see, uh, you know, who would get better uh, from that standpoint. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so looking into the, the individual cases, although the overall the pain scores um, did improve, I believe you did get signals of benefit um, when we look at yeah factors such as withdrawing from medication and increased activity. So is is there nuances amongst you know that overarching um, finding that pain didn't um, improve dramatically? What about the other other measures of quality of life, et cetera? Um, what sort of signal did you get through there? Yeah, so what we found is that for the most part, their uh, functional scores improved uh, pretty significantly across the board. And so my my feeling is that part of the reason why they didn't have significant improvements in their pain was because they were feeling better and so they were doing more. They were functioning at a higher level and therefore their pain and was still present because they're now pushing themselves and doing a little bit more. So I, th- I thought that was uh, pretty interesting from a functional standpoint. Uh, we did see some trends where their symptoms were improving, but but nothing that uh, appeared to be statistically significant. Okay, but that was that was the overall theme of the. Yeah, the results yeah. of the question. Yeah. Um, so just to go back, the promise questionnaire that that looks at pain levels. So that didn't really improve, but the the FIQR, which is that fibromyalgia questionnaire, you did see some um, improvements on in that metric. Is that correct? Yes, that is yeah. that is correct. Okay. Yep. Um, and yeah, what was the patient's um, perception? You said one one continued on. Did you look at everybody and what was their um, their feedback on on the use of this supplement? We did, and um, and interestingly enough, the the perception. So after, so only so three of the seven chose to continue to purchase the product on their own and continue to take it after the study, without being told or asked or anything, just on their own. The other four chose not to. And uh, probably there was only one patient who basically felt like SPMs did nothing for them. They didn't feel better. They didn't have any improved function, not, no improved sleep, no improved pain. But the others all commented on particularly the other, and that was one of the ones who didn't continue afterwards. The other three that, can, that didn't continue all commented how they realized they were getting better sleep and that they were functioning better when they were on the SPM than when they came off. Now, the one patient who did say that she didn't feel like she got any benefit happened to be weaning off of her antidepressant during the trial. So that could have confounded that just a little bit um, in that she she was feeling well enough to wean down off her antidepressant, but then at the same time, uh, she was not showing any benefit from the SPMs, but it probably could have been a confounder. So that would have been nice if yeah. she had not to do that until after the trial. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but the others did have that improvement in their sleep, 
um, quality, not necessarily that they were falling asleep better, but they just felt like they were getting better sleep when they were on the SPM and that they, they did seem to function better. Okay. So it sounds like there's been a few yeah, clinical wins, but maybe statistically, um, overall, uh, not, you know, not as great, but it seems like a lot of nuances. And I think, was there a couple other patients that, um, as I often have said before, life often gets in the way of a good case study, um, stress and was there a dental infection or something? Um, there, there could have been a few, yep. you know, confounding things. Yeah. We had, so we had one of, one of the patients had a, yeah, had a dental abscess, another patient, uh, her mother um, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, so she, yeah, she struggled to, to maintain her diet that she was on. She actually started to have a really poor diet because of being in and out of hospital visits and doctor visits and trying to tear, you know, yeah. take all of yeah. this in. Um, so she, it, it, it was interesting to see how once she, that kind of calmed down a little bit and, she got back on her scores kind of peaked during that time, which was about week six to eight. And then those last four weeks, she, she had significant improvements um, across the board actually in her pain and her, her functionality. Yeah. When she got back on track. And um, what about the, the biochemistry? Any, any findings there better or worse with all the, the markers of inflammation? Yeah, nothing, nothing we can hang our hat on. It was kind of all over the map, um, which was uh, a little disappointing. I was really kind of hoping we would see some kind of trend in that area. Uh, we saw some areas get better in some patients and then others get worse. And so it, at least in this short period of time, there wasn't enough of a dramatic improvement across the board in these markers, nothing that stood out. Um, interleukin-6, I think, was kind of the one we were expecting to see the most from. But interestingly enough, most of the patients, their CRP and the interleukin-6 levels were actually fairly low for the most part to begin uh, okay. with. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, well, um, it's a, I think it's a great uh, initial step with looking at this from a, a research perspective. So, you know, maybe over time we get, uh, bigger, a bigger N uh, number of patients, and yeah, as you said, maybe um, be, it might have a greater impact in those less complicated fibromyalgia patients without the, the SIRS, etc. That maybe uh, naive to to functional medicine. Um, so yeah, moving forward. Uh, so how would you? You know, in hindsight, or if this wasn't a study and you had the patients say with the STIRS, um, how would you go about uh, treating these patients with um, fibromyalgia? Would you use SPM straight away or would you do a combination of a SIRS protocol plus the SPMs? How's this changed your um, view on treating these patients? Yeah, I think it, it what it's changed is just reminded me the importance of not getting too caught up with symptomatic improvement right away and looking at um, treating the underlying causes. So if we know that, you know, there's, there's clearly enough data showing that SPMs are helping decrease inflammation within the body and through those mechanisms. And 
so being patient and getting them on a protocol that's going to help hit all targets of the area. It's not just going to be just SPMs. It's going to be a combination of other things with SPMs. In fact, I have to, I'll, I'll sneak this out here. One of the things I'm really interested in looking at is a combination of a, uh, a CBD hemp extract with uh, SPMs because they, they, they work on similar pathways, but they're complementary in a lot of ways and seeing if that would give some synergistic effects to symptoms. But that, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another words for fibromyalgia, just from a, a functional medicine perspective, so you, we've covered SIRS and maybe hypothyroidism, looking for drivers, and this is outside of SPMs now, um, what other things would you be suspicious of or have you found your, your experience with fibromyalgia? I, I, I'm always suspicious of anything that's going to interfere with mitochondrial function. I, I still feel like probably the driving force with my uh, fibromyalgia is mitochondrial dysfunction, both from an energy production standpoint and a detoxification, antioxidant um, capacity. And I, I, I feel that the symptoms related to fibromyalgia have to do with the inability to produce energy, which requires uh, an environment and a system that's going to be able to handle oxidative stress as well as clearing the toxins out of that um, area. And so I think part of the energy crisis with fibromyalgia has to do with the inability to produce energy because of impaired mitochondrial function for whatever reason, um, whether it's low thyroid, whether you know it's infection, whether it's mold, whether... Uh, it's stress, whether it's whatever, gut dysbiosis, all, any of those things that impact the mitochondria are, are going to lead to a buildup of these toxins and muscles, are going to decrease energy and lead to fibromyalgia symptoms. So that's kind of how I look at fibromyalgia is what's impacting the mitochondria, how can I improve the function of the mitochondria and how can I improve detoxification pathways and antioxidant uh, antioxidation of the oxidative stress associated with oxidative metabolism phosphorylation yeah yeah absolutely um now I think they've identified haven't they um those red ragged fibers in fibromyalgia patients the the mitochondria become all like fused and and ragged and, and full of um heme to create that, that that red picture under microscopy. So absolutely, we need to support the mitochondria. It's, I suppose the challenge is yeah finding out what's actually causing the um the mitochondrial dysfunction, which yeah. is the challenge. Yeah, and I don't know I don't know if you saw that article recently where they've identified certain bacteria in the gut that actually are associated with fibromyalgia. Yeah. So therefore, gut dysbiosis also maybe contributing to that. So it's, it's all back to functional medicine, right? I mean, Absolutely, it's all yeah. looking at the matrix and you can't, you can't just say, Oh, I'm just going to treat the immune system and therefore I'm going to fix everything, or I'm just going to treat the mitochondria, um, and give them a bunch of, um, amino acids, antioxidants, and nutrients that are going to rev up the mitochondria. If that mitochondria is not going to be able to tolerate the toxic load that's associated with mitochondria function so absolutely um just back to your findings or that that 
um, yeah, that finding where people started maybe overdoing it. What have you learned from that? Have you learned any sort of maybe some messages to to um, provide to your patients and how to sort of get back into activity? Because I, I get it completely. Like if they're not feeling so great and they, their function starts to restore, you want to sort of almost make up for lost time and get out in the garden and do everything. And then is there any sort of advice you should, um, practitioners could consider giving to their patients about um, just taking it easy and getting into it progressively? Absolutely. I think, again, going into it, the mindset that this is a mitochondrial problem, helping them understand that it's it's not just an energy production problem, but a waste clearance problem that if they go in and they exert a lot of energy, then they're going to have to deal with clearing out those toxins and clearing out the waste associated with the energy production. They seem to get that, right? They understand that concept. I use the automobile. I say, if you put gas in the engine and you plug up the gas, you know, the exhaust pipe and you have no way of getting all that out, your, your car is not going to be that helpful for very long. They get that message. And so I just say, look, take it, take it easy. Test your body occasionally, test out that engine, see how it's working. But if you find yourself not doing well the next day, know that you need to scale it back and and continue to know this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And let's continue to do the things that we know are going to support your overall system. The and, and in doing so, we're going to continue to reset your homeostasis therefore you can function in all areas better and then your mitochondrial start functioning better you'll clear those toxins out again and you'll be able to function better have less pain and have a better quality of life yeah thank you there's some nice nice analogies in there and that, that really helps i think uh, practitioners to, to pass on that message all right so sorry i'm jumping around a little bit but back to the the spms is a bit of a, a wrap-up so um i'm yeah, although like the overall findings weren't you know overwhelmingly positive, I think there's some nuances in there, and hopefully more research will um, come to light. And uh, it's good to dive into the detail. So SPMs, yeah, that's not like a you know a, a hammer um, that you can nail everything with. Right. Um, it's a tool. So from yeah, I suppose after this, how do you see SPMs? What, what sort of um, role do they play in functional medicine? What would be the indications, or maybe not so much the contraindications, but where you think they mightn't have impact until um, things are addressed? So, yeah, what's your sort of framework now with SPMs? Yeah, I, how am I using them in the clinic? Yeah, <laughs> that's an easy way of asking. <laughs> so, it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so right now, I, I, I've been actually, to be honest, so excited with the functional improvement of our fibromyalgia patients and the understanding of the underlying mechanisms. Uh, we, we now across the board in our clinic are pretty much using, SP, giving a trial of SPMs to all of our fibromyalgia patients or patients who have symptoms associated with fibromyalgia um, and, and let them say, look, give this a three-month trial. And, and then we give them some of the functional questionnaires to follow up with. And so we can show them, look, hey, you're, you're feeling better. You're doing better even though you may not perceive that your pain is improving because we know that we're going to be helping at that uh, metabolic level, that cellular level. And then also using them in uh, more, you know, acute, uh, subacute pain uh, areas where there's some inflammation, 
Uh, we've been we've been using the SPMs to help in uh, reducing that, particularly in our um, you know middle aged to uh, older population, where we recognize that there's the body may just not be getting the right signals to completely heal that area. We we let patients know this is not going to be a quick fix, but it over time is going to help your body start to heal. Let's take these for three months and then let's reevaluate to see where you're at. We are looking because some of the data does show increasing doses up to to four to six capsules a day for a short period of time, and you know then downgrading and using two. So we'll do six for a week, then do four for a week, and then do two a day just to really kind of hit it hard and transition people and have and then have follow-ups at three months. And we've been have we've been seeing better success than what we were seeing before. And granted, part of the issue with what I was using, the product I was using before was only about a third of the strength of what we're currently using too. So I think that may have had some impact of the success that I was seeing with my patients or the lack of success. Yeah. That's currently how we're using it. Okay. That's that's great. It's given um, a good scope and yeah, it shows um, plenty of promise. Um, it's obviously not a panacea for everything, but yeah, I think it's a really valuable tool because it really fills a, I suppose, a gap that um, it, well, probably didn't even know existed about this sort of because um, SPMs obviously help promote that resolution, but it's a real uh, new component uh, toolbox. So thanks for that um, insight into how you've seen them, and hopefully, as we do more research, we'll we'll get um, even clearer guidelines on on their applications. All right. And one one other quick comment yeah. about the SPMs that I think is useful. I, 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 you know, patients will ask me, so why why can't I just take fish oil? I mean, if this is if this is fish oil, isn't there aren't there SPMs in fish oil? And I just let them know, well, you you could, but you need to take about twenty times the amount of fish oil that you're taking to get one capsule of the SPM. And when they understand that, um, they realize, okay, so this is a, a specialized product, and that's and that's part of why the the SPM products that are coming out are um, a little more costly because it, it, it is an extract of fish oil. There's a, only a small amount in fish oil that contains SPMs, and so to concentrate that and get that into a capsule is um, it, it is costly. And there are multiple different types of SPMs. So the one, the product that we particularly used, um, we're happy to see that it's been studied and we're, we're getting reproducible results with it because other SPMs that are coming out that are extracting from fish oil may not include the exact same resolvents uh, that are found in the product that we're using. Yeah, it's a good point. As as, as- yeah, numerous downstream mediators from the EPA DHA. You could have, you know, potentially, yeah, an infinite amount of um, iterations of that. So it's important to use the ones that have been researched. Okay, well, I appreciate your um, time, and certainly the I like the, the insights and the um, balance that you provide to this uh, discussion. Uh, it's really highlighted that they can be a, a key component to practice, but. Obviously, we need to do our due diligence as functional medicine practitioners to, to hunt out drivers and um, treat those where indicated. But I think really it's shown that 
that's got some great promise and hopefully we'll learn more about them in the future. Um, any other final uh, remarks you want to make about the SPMs or um, how to apply this into to clinical practice? Uh, the only final remark I would say is that this is an exciting new tool that we have that we're just scratching the surface on. I think there's a lot still to learn. I'm, I'm excited that um, companies like Metagenics and others are willing to, um, you know, put put an investment into patient care to allow us to see what kind of results that we have. So I just wanted to. Um, say thank you to Metagenics as well as other companies like Metagenics that are willing to invest in us um, to see how we can treat patients better. Absolutely, yeah. It's good to we can quantify this with research. And as I said, even though it mightn't be the best outcome to start with, um, it's a step in the right direction. Hopefully we can do more in the future. So, Dr. Lundquist, I really appreciate your time. Um, it was great to meet you and hopefully I, I might be able to meet you in person one day or you could come over here and continue with your Aussie uh, impersonations and um, maybe we can connect again in the future with some more updates about SPMs or, or functional medicine. That sounds great. We can go out and have a Vegemite sandwich. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your time. Yeah, you're very welcome, Nathan. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast. Find us on iTunes and leave a review. Join our practitioner-only Metagenics Facebook group to be informed of new podcast releases, keep up to date with key industry updates, and more. Visit metagenics.com.au to find useful links and resources relating to this podcast and sign up for our e-newsletter.